We're live. All right. Well, welcome to the Balanced Male Podcast. If you don't recognize my voice, that is because this is not Roy speaking to you from the mic. We have a very special episode of the podcast tonight. We are turning the tables and Roy himself will be sitting in the hot seat. This is very, very exciting. Uh, and, so in, you know, in order to kick this off, I know everybody, you know, this podcast is the, uh, is the hottest podcast in North Virginia Beach with tens and tens of listeners. And I know you all are just dying to know more about your enigmatic host, uh, Roy Clements. So... A little bit about Roy before we get uh, get started here. And by the way, I can't. Sometimes I cannot believe we're even doing this after the night we had last night. And so, if I can't string <laughs> sentences together, it's because we were out very late on Fourth of July uh, imbibing Pacificos. But here we go. Roy Clemens is an Atlanta native, now living his best life here in Virginia Beach. Roy is fast approaching legendary status in the Virginia Beach education community as an innovative, engaging, and empathetic math teacher at Friends School Virginia Beach. When not teaching, you can usually find Roy run around town as a dashing trophy husband for his wife Carly or patiently explaining to his three-year-old son Jasper, the musical genius of the greatest 90s artist of all time, Andrew W.K. Next time you're walking on Chick's Beach, you'll almost certainly find Roy acting irrepressibly chill with a rock and roll tattoo emblazoned across his midsection and offering all who walk by a Pacifico. He's also the host of this podcast, and it's about time we turn this mic around and separate out the man from the myth. All right, Roy Clemens, welcome to the Balanced Male Podcast. How are you feeling? I'm glad to be here. That was a really great introduction. That's probably one of the better introductions ever on this podcast. Uh, I mean, listen, we I worked for at least six minutes on it today. So. I like that you, you, you mentioned Andrew WK. I don't know if you noticed the bobblehead on the table. <laughs> I did. It's an Andrew WK bobblehead. Um, so, yeah, it's good. We did have a night last night, didn't we? We, we had a day. We had a big day. Yeah. It was uh, 4th of July. Was kicked yeah. it off with a parade that ran late, so... Beers started cracking at 9 a.m., well, and you, it pretty much didn't stop. When you have a parade scheduled in a neighborhood as hot as it was at 9, and then it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to... You got to do something you to cool do it off. Something. Uh, well, this actually is a great intro to kind of what I wanted as my kickoff question, because I am curious about this, and I know... You know, all 17 of your listeners are also very <laughs> curious about this. So when we crack beers, we, you're always drinking a Modelo, a Pacifico. Like tonight right now. Uh, so, you know, why do you love Mexican beers so much and why do you hate America? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. I think that when it comes to... When it comes to beers, I just, I think the first beer I had was a Mexican beer. Yeah. And that was it. I like, I like how it feels. I mean, you know, it's chill. You know, I, I just never like Irrepressibly Bud- chill. It's so irrepressibly, irrepressibly <laughs> chill. Um, I think it was always, I, um, I talked about this one time. I'm very much a nostalgic food person. Mm-hmm. Like 
I can think about the first time I had um, a California style burrito. Oh, yeah. So, you good. know, so and good. at this place in Atlanta called Willie's. Um, and so, like, I do that with like the drinks I have. Like, I like Presidente's because the first time I had them was in the Virgin Islands. And that was the first time I had ever been to a place like the Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. And when I drink it, it takes me back. But it's like you crack open a few Modellos or Pacificos and, you know, you're not going to get super trashed. No, there's yeah, nothing wrong with your day after that. I just, and I, I mean, I honestly, I mean, I don't, honestly, I'll drink whatever's there and whatever I'm offered, (laughs) but I'm not going to go for a Bud Light if I have my own, like if I'm at my house. Makes sense. You know? Yeah. It's just so, I don't know, man. It feels good. It's chill. It's nice. I don't know. I love it. I love Mexican beer. It's that beach vibe. It's basically Budweiser. It is. It is. It's just, uh, yeah, and it just looks good in your hand. I get it. But I also also saw a lot of, like, I think when I was coming up and drinking, um, growing up, you would always see the Bud Lights and the Budweisers, the people drinking them were people I didn't want to hang out with. You know, uh huh. And I remember like being around old guys. Casey, dr- if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> but it was like it was it was like a smell thing. I think that's what it was because they're like the old dudes that all they drank was like Budweiser, and then I, they would talk to me, and it just like grossed me out. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. It's so I just maybe that's why. Yeah. And a vacation mentality, maybe too. We, you know, you do live right across from the beach, so mm-hmm. there is a beach vibe yeah. to Mexican beers, a hundred percent. I mean, I've had I've had all sorts of Mexican beers. I've had something called Victoria. Oh boy, which is which is even like lighter than like Modelo. Um, I feel like this is already you know sacrosanct here as we're on coming out of Fourth of July and we're. I know, man. Celebrating all your Mexican beers. You know, this is a Cinco de Mayo conversation. <laughs> also, what's really good is this beer called Tonya. It's a Nicaraguan beer, much like Modelo. But I don't know. There's like palm trees on it and stuff. I mean, I mean, I even love like uh, is it Chang? It's a Thai. It's a Thailand. So, so wait, so what, I, what? What I'm hearing though is that can design also plays in yes a uh-huh. big role. Hundred percent. So this makes this makes your love of liquid death make more sense to me. Oh yeah, because I've never that is the oh, craziest God. thing you drink. 100%. Liquid death is by far they made it for people like me. <laughs> it's it's in a tall boy. Um, it has a skull on it. Um, most of the people that most of the bands that I listen to drink it. Um, it says "Murder Your Thirst." Um, on it, you know, and it's the design is all like that eighties, like metal, like, are you going to add it to your tattoo where the elephant will be <laughs> drinking a liquid death? No, no. <laughs> it's just like, I, I, oh my God, it, it like literally like their marketing <laughs> is perfect. You know, it's perfect. and what they did though is cause the guy I've, li- I've listened to an interview by the guy that started liquid death, um, grew up in the punk scene. And so and he was in a punk band and so when he was doing this and starting it he was like i got to give it to these guys because you know you're on tour and like sometimes like like for instance like warp tour mhm 
you're doing warp tour and it's 95 to 100 degrees and you don't want to be drinking beer while you're playing but you also you kind of have an image to keep up so like there's not really a lot like they don't want to see you drinking like a uh, a fresca dude <laughs> or you know, honestly the first time like i ever saw it you were cracking that at a at the straight up park with our kids yeah. and i was like are you allowed to be drinking this at the park with kids I was like, Roy, I mean, it's chill around here, but my God. Yeah, I uh, want to get back to that too, but I want to finish <laughs> this thought before I lose it because there's not options. Like if you're in like a hardcore band, like there are a lot of people that aren't going to judge you for not drinking, but there's not a lot of options, you know? And so like if you're crushing a Waterloo or like a, a LaCroix, I don't know if it's going to put it up. So like this gives people something different and it's like a liquid death it's made like a tall boy you know you get the you get the feeling of like that can opening mm-hmm. that and you get the bubbles and so it tricks you and it makes it's like i'm holding a beer you know i mean i was a i was a six to six to nine soda drinker a day yeah before. so this was a big replacement <laughs> oh my god i can't like I need, but the reason, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I had made a lot of terrible food decisions before, like with, before I met my wife or I met Carly. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. I was talking about this the other day, but like I tried to drink bottle water and it's not the same, but if I get, if I can crack open a can and get bubbles, it kind of, I can do that before I reach for a soda or a beer. I agree. I agree. I was a big Mountain Dew code red specifically drinker uh-huh. i don't know if you remember uh-huh. i remember code the, red. uh mm-hmm. that was the one that stuck i feel like that and baja blast yeah people lo- i hated baja blast well, i mean me too i thought everybody was like oh we got to go to taco bell and get the baja blast and i was like ah yeah i just feel like that one was always a little overrated mm-hmm. uh, yeah but also we are drinking tequila i know and tequila gets a really bad rap it's it's a very delicious like liquor to sip and to drink. It's refreshing, um, but most of it is like college girls and they yes. just drink. Te- they just pound tequila shots and then they're dancing on the table. I mean, I've done that too before. I mean, I've danced on my share of tables. Who hasn't? Who has? You know. But um, yeah, man, it's just it's smooth. You sip this tequila. We're drinking the That's, rocks tequila. It's very nice. Uh, oh. I I am not usually a tequila drinker myself, so this is new. But I I yeah. you know I I have a lot of you know friends who love tequila. So yeah. I'm on the tequila train tonight. We'll see. We'll see. Who knows? We might do a wet t-shirt contest at we the could. end of this. You gotta be careful with tequila, though. My friend Joe, um, one time he drank a. Um, tumbler size or a like a regular water glass <laughs> size of tequila one yeah. night he was he was on a he was doing a, a world of warcraft raid oh and boy he was on there for a few hours and he just started sipping it and he's like it just tastes so good i didn't want to stop and then all of a sudden he looked down and he's like i just drank 16 ounces of tequila well and then well i'm gone yeah exactly <laughs> and that was the last thing i remember yeah, um, but yeah, drinking it in the uh, in the park or on the beach, I I love that. I think there's a part of me that wants to be that guy. Yep, you know that like <laughs> just like he's the guy that's drink 
I don't want to say drinking at a park on a Sunday. But, it's like... but that's kind of what it looked like with the liquid death. And I was in, until I and I you so you you said it's it's just sparkling water. And I was like, really? If you if, if, if for the folks at home, Google liquid death, murder your thirst. Like... It is. Uh, it does not look like sparkling water, but that is just what it is. But yesterday at the beach, like I was talking with our friends about you and me and how you get cornered by all these people because you look like a very safe, nice white Republican boy. And like there were two suburban ladies that cornered you. I don't know what they were talking about, but whatever. And then an old guy came and joined the conversation. You had a whole group. Uh And I was talking about, you know, when (laughs) there's just a difference. When I go to the beach, you know, I have rock and roll tattooed on my stomach. I've got tattoos all over and, you know, I'm usually wearing... (laughs) Just, got the ear gauges. Yeah, I got the plugs, and it's like <laughs> they assume that I'm I'm either hanging with. I hypothetically, I feel like they assume. Oh, he has like he's there. This is his time with the kids, kind of like divorce situation. And then it's like, how could this guy still be married? Yeah, <laughs> how could this guy? You know, it's like rock. But you know, the rock and roll tattoo is very much a. I don't want to say litmus test, but it's like a whoa when people see it. It's like it's not just like a butterfly tramp stamp. Mm-mm. It is an identifying mark. But I love when like I get to be like, oh yeah, I teach elementary school kids uh-huh. and all of that, and they go, huh. And I love that I get to do that. Yes. So I think there's like maybe it's my brand. And you break some, you break down some stereotypes. <laughs> well, speaking of your brand, because I think it is fit, fits in, and this actually goes into a piece that I wanted to explore. So one of the cool things that I learned about you, which I had, it was unexpected, was how is it too much to call you a coffee celebrity? I feel <laughs> like, you know, it was you were just the absolute coffee king in Atlanta before you moved here. In fact, it was your smooth coffee skills that won you your wife <laughs> yeah. and uh and, and then you came here and you not only were successful at building out uh, a coffee shop down at the oceanfront but then you expanded that to training staff at new coffee shops and and I always feel bad I'm like a Folgers guy it's always a little bit embarrassing. I always have great coffee when I come over here. Mm-hmm. But this is a piece that I found fascinating and I wanted to dive into a little bit. So where did your love of coffee come from? How did it start? It, you know, tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Oh, yeah. I fell in. So I fell into coffee. Um, it started because this friend of mine would, he, he was our youth minister and he would go every day to this coffee shop um, because it was, you know, it was this old renovated house and they only serve French press coffee and you would bring it out in this tray and you would get your French press. You would get little things of like sugar and a little, like a little carafe of cream and your mug and you could just sit and like he would go there and he would be there for hours and... When I went there, it was the first time that, like, I had coffee as an experience. Mm -hmm. Because there's an experience to drinking a French press. And for those of you who don't know, it's when it's those, they look like a little pot. 
and you press basically you you fill ground coffee with hot water in this pot and then you just press down that's where you get the french press you know the press and i just i sort of was like this is the coolest freaking thing ever and i just would go there with him and i i got to taste and what it was with the french press is that when you drink it you get to taste more of what the coffee actually is supposed to taste like because you know when you grind the coffee the certain way you let the the pot the water or you let the coffee seep in the water you're capturing like the oils and all of that stuff and so you would get this like fuller taste and i'd never tasted it like that before and i'm and it was like this like oh my god coffee can taste like this holy shit and um so then i would go there and went there a bunch and i was working at Publix, which is a grocery store down in georgia and randomly my buddy who was there was like hey i just overheard the manager looking for uh people to work there would you want to work there and i was like yes so i called immediately got the job got to quit Publix. i'd been there for over a decade oh my god and employee of the decade for Publix. oh my god yeah and so then I just got to work at this place and I got to learn just more about coffee, more about what coffee can be. Mm-hmm. And I got to, you know, use the espresso machine and I got to learn how espresso is supposed to taste and what, you know, all of the different aspects and nuances with coffee, learned how to make it in so many different ways. And it just became something that honestly was like, I mean, it was, it was really fun. But then I, I really started to see how coffee is one of those things that it takes so long to get to the cup. For instance, you're mm. growing this cherry mm-hmm. and you have to take the beans out of the cherry, dry them, wash them. And someone from somewhere in the middle. So of- coffee beans come out of a hold up, back up. Yeah. It comes out of a cherry? Yeah. So coffee is grown on, on like a, a tree, almost like a bush, and there's cherries. And I know nothing about this. So I I know I just assumed that they fell off trees or something. I have no, no idea. Well, I'll tell you. So historically, the legend has it that there was um, this, far, this goat farmer that noticed one day that his goats were getting really hyper nice and they would and kind of he said i guess they say like jumping or dancing okay you'll notice a lot there's like a coffee shop in atlanta called dancing goats coffee um and so he was like what is this why are they dancing jumping and he realized they were eating this cherry and inside the cherry were the coffee beans and so they just saw the relationship oh these goats are dancing and this must give them energy so they started eating it they started ingesting and then they learned you grind it and then you know blah thousands of years later here we are um and yeah so but you get it in a cherry and so what they do is they harvest the cherries uh-huh. and get the beans out of it um and then it's a really intense process because you take them out and then you have to dry the beans and then you wash them and all. Do you stuff. take it like an individual? Be- there's got to be a machine or something yeah, that you can throw these. Well, yeah. it depends. It really depends because, and that's the cool thing about coffee is coffee is only grown in certain, in certain 
in between lines of latitude around. Is it a sweet cherry? Can you eat the cherry? You could. You can also, they brew it. You can brew the cherries. It's called cascara, and you get like a tea from it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but like, for instance, like coffee can only be grown in certain parts of the world. And there's this lines of latitude, higher or lower, it won't work. So you'll hear sometimes the coffee belt. And so it just wraps around the world. So that's why like you can grow coffee in Ethiopia, but you can't grow coffee in South America or South Africa. Got it. You can grow coffee in Costa Rica. You can't really grow coffee in Georgia. Yeah. Or anywhere. Yeah. Uh And warmth. So, um, that's something that I, so as I learned about that, I was like really cool. Cause you can grow grapes here in Virginia and make wine. Right. But it's but really, you can't grow coffee. Yeah, you, you you is the plant called coffee? I don't think so. Or is it like coffee beans? But I well, know it's coffee say, beans. But well, like, do you know what the plant is called? I think it's a coffee plant. A coffee plant. That's what I think. I, I haven't heard it. If it is, then there goes my coffee card. No. But so you just so I just you, you up, make you can't grow it. So yeah. you wouldn't know. You just make it. Exactly. Yeah, I just make it. <laughs> but I just I really started to enjoy the fact that I'm making this beverage that is coming from somewhere I've never been. And someone grew it, someone took their time to to craft it this certain way. And I get to I get to to make it, and then I learned like you can make coffee in so many different ways, and you get so many different tastes. So, I mean, I've had coffee that's tasted like. Was talking about nostalgia, I remember when I knew that coffee could be different. Was I was drinking at this coffee shop in Atlanta called Octane that's no longer there, and it was a French press coffee, and it was Ethiopian, and it was sun dry, sun sun dried, and the first sip was like I was drinking a strawberry or a strawberry muffin of it was a black it was black coffee and it was like that's when I had that I was like holy shit like this is bananas like I can't believe it and it's strawberries really yeah is what strawberries because yeah. like what happens is <laughs> a lot of times like coffee is like wine yeah like Different regions give you different flavors. Like Ethiopian coffee, people get a lot of blueberries or lemons when they're drinking it. Like, and it's drunk, it's made properly. Um, Costa Rican coffee, you get nuttier and chocolatier. Colombian coffee is very dark, so it's like really like a like you're eating like. Uh, let's see, when I it's like a seventy five percent cacao dark chocolate bar. You know that real dark. Oh yeah, kind of flavors. Um, so it was so interesting. So you know, the drink itself is only one element of of a coffee shop. So mm-hmm. another element that I wanted to ask you about is I found out that this is basically how you met your wife, and yeah. that not only mm-hmm. were you a good at making the coffee drinks, but you were also that barista who had the regular orders ready. He knew everybody coming in. And I, I picture you wearing like skinny jeans and a beanie and like, <laughs> and just the coolest coffee shop guy you can imagine as Carly is studying in the corner and you're just distracting her with your radiant good looks and personality uh, yep. and, uh, and, and caffeinated <laughs> beverages. So, so tell us a little bit more about the service element 
of coffee shops and yeah, um, how, and maybe even a little bit of how you met Carly through that whole process. I, you know, I, I have a really good memory. Um, let's hope that sticks. But <laughs> as you say that, I remember I was wearing, um, what is a shirt called that has the, the buttons, the t-shirt? Uh, oh my God. A Henley. Henley. I was wearing a Henley and ripped up skinny jeans and, um, I had, um, I hate saying the word fedora. God, you did have skinny jeans? Yeah, I, I had slim jeans. Well, I liked slim jeans because I'm a bigger dude. <laughs> slim, not skinny. Got it. Exactly. It gave me some room. But <clears throat> you know when you're wearing a fedora, but the ones that are like, it's up. It's not like down in the front. Like the Jason Mraz fedora. Yes, the Jason. I was wearing that. Uh-huh. Um, and my, my plugs were... My, they were gauged at three fourths of an inch, so almost the size of a quarter. Yeah. So I was I was that, and I didn't have the buttons on the Henley, so it was open, and I was like sixty pounds lighter too. Oh my! So I'm just thinking about that, and I'm like, yeah, that was me. I was I became the quintessential barista look. A hundred percent. But when it dude, comes I want to date you. As but you, when it comes to service, so a lot of times. When you have things like wine and beer and bourbon, people become very snooty about it because you learn something cool and then you immediately think that people that don't know what you know are like less than or stupid or dumb. It's like that with bands, you know, in band, you have that band that you like and all of a sudden they become popular. So I experienced that going to coffee shops and I hated it. I also wasn't a cool quote unquote cool person growing up. So like when I got behind the bar, I didn't want people to feel dumb because I know that like what I know is so small in comparison, like 99% of the world doesn't know this. So I would rather someone come in and learn something and feel good about it. Because you walk into a coffee shop, you don't know stuff. You get nervous, don't you? 100%. Because you're going to see words like, because if it's like a one of the, the proper coffee shops, you'll see words like cortado, cappuccino, macchiato, America. You know, you see these words and you don't know what they mean. I certainly don't know the difference between them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen those words. But if you ask me to describe the difference between a mocha and a macchiato, yeah. I would have... No idea. Yeah, when what people hear you. macchiato, I'll, I'll teach you this. They think caramel macchiato from Starbucks, which is basically a caramel latte. They just they just decided to put macchiato with caramel, and they knew that like suburban white women would love that, and so they feel they feel cool or feel great ordering that. But a macchiato traditionally is just two shots of espresso with steamed milk on top. That they would basically scoop off the foam from the top mm-hmm. and just put it on there. So you're getting like an espresso shot. So you're basically just saying that this the secret sauce for your uh, barista ability was just not treating people like idiots, helping them yeah. through the coffee <laughs> experience. Yeah. And people really appreciated that. Yeah, 100%. And if you were a cute girl and I helped you through it, you probably liked it and i could maybe if i was lucky get your number take you out on a date 
So I would always, if you were a cute girl, I would be like, look you in the eye, talk to you like a real person, like not like be like, hey, what's up? But just like, I don't know, treat you with respect. And then I could usually like, I got a few, I got a lot of dates because of it. And I, that, I mean, Carly walked in the coffee shop. She was a cute girl. So I laid on the charm. So what was Carly? She was number like 22 in Uh, the line of cute girls that you (laughs) gave your number out to like a creep. No, I just, so like before I'll, I'll, because you asked me about how we met, I'll tell you that. I just really loved, I knew that people like to feel, um, oh my God, the word, like seen and heard. And so like, if you've come into a place four times and that person knows what you're drinking, it makes you feel good, right? Mm -hmm. It makes you feel like you have a stake in the place. It makes you feel like this is almost home. And so I wanted people to feel that because I loved that feeling. And I loved the feeling of when someone saw me knowing what I ordered and having it ready I mean, you're like, hell yeah, this place is fucking great. You're also going to tip that person more. So I knew I would get more money from it, but I also knew the money was the, the <coughs> money's was the sprinkles on the ice cream. I mean, I, I loved getting better tips, but I also love that people felt like it was home. Yeah. And I know. So that was why. Isn't that why people go to coffee shops too? It's they want that feeling of like your living room. Yeah. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's really cool. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm going to kind of do a dual question here, but for, since a lot of the listeners are Virginia beach based, I know you worked at Zeke's mm-hmm. down at the ocean front, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. How did that go? And, and then I also want to get a kind of a sense for, you in the future, like obviously coffee is so much of a passion. would love to hear about where you see this going. Do you, do you want to keep doing stuff with coffee as, uh, as uh, you know, down the line? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you about Zeke's, but I do, I don't know if I ever told the story. You asked me how I met Carly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We can go back to that. 100%. So Carly came in to this coffee. So the coffee shop I worked at had two locations and the second location was in this apartment complex and it was on the Chattahoochee river and they needed help that week. They, they needed like two days of work, someone to come in and cover two days. And I was like, I mean, sure, I'll do it, whatever. And I came in and this, and it was my first day there. I didn't know this, but this coffee shop was frequented by the people that the kids that went to Life University, the chiropractic school that Carly was going to, mm-hmm. they liked it because it's cut back in this. I mean, this place was like, when I think of like beautiful scenery, it was here. You're, you're literally in the clubhouse of this apartment complex that had this coffee shop, which by the way, the, the apartment complex uh, was called Riverbend Apartments. And um, it was at one point... Playboy called it the epicenter for the sexual revolution. It was known as a singles apartment complex in the 60s and 70s. Um, And they had to quarantine the apartments at one point because STDs became so rampant. Anyway, they rebranded. Auspicious start for you and Carly. They rebranded. It was a place (laughs) like 
that was just known for the location. They took what was the bar and made it the coffee shop, and they would use it as a selling point to get people to live there. Great. Anyway, but the the kids that were going to Life University would go there because you could study. It was quiet. You didn't feel like you were in the city. Anyway, my first day there, and um, I'm working, and then Carly comes in. It was her first day ever at the coffee shop. She had never been there before, but she was studying for her radiology exam, and she just needed a place to study, and so she was like, I'll give this place a try. So my first day, her first day, she comes in and was just like, "Why? what's so great about this place? And I saw her, and I was like, "You're here we go. She's cute. This is great. I've Love done it. this a couple times before. <laughs> Get that pen out. Here comes my number, baby. No, and I just talked her up. But, but what was happening was it just became less about really trying to date, get a date. And I just realized within like, within like a minute of the conversation, this, this girl is different. And so then we would just, you know, she, I, I made her, her, her coffee and then she went and sat down and then <laughs> I brought her her coffee and then I just felt comfortable. I just sat down next to her and just started talking to her and then, you know, ended up like saying, you know, let's go out and got her number and took her out two days later and here we are. So you, uh, so she failed whatever exam she was trying to study for because the coffee guy came and sat down and distracted <laughs> yeah. her. But long term, yeah. it all worked out. Yeah. So I ended up. So this is actually a good segue to your question because um, she's from here, and she knew pretty quickly in chiropractic, like when she was becoming a chiropractor, she wanted to serve this community. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like probably after like almost a year of dating, we it was kind of clear that if if I wanted to continue to date her or be with her, I was going to have to leave Georgia. And, you know, that's, I mean, I was like, I was kind of ready to leave Georgia. And she, I knew, I mean, I loved her. And I was like, I feel like I need to take this chance. So she graduated. I graduated six months after her. And then I moved up here. And the rest is history. So I knew in my mind that I didn't need to look for a job when I moved there. I needed to have a job or at least interviews lined up when I got there. Mm -hmm. I want to hit the ground running because I've been working since I was 16. I didn't want there to be a, a, a break. So I just like went on Craigslist and looked for like Craigslist co coffee shop jobs. That's a throwback. Yeah, I know Craigslist. Wow. Who uses that anymore, right? But I put out, I think twenty five emails with my resume. Yeah, and Zeke's the guy who owned it was just like, hey, you know, I would just say, hey, I'm moving to Virginia Beach in like three weeks. Um, would love to set up an interview and I'd love to work there. I have, you know this many years in coffee and blah, 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 all that. And then um, a couple places called and we're like, yeah, hit us up when you get there. And so Zeke's was like, yeah, we're getting open. We should be open by the time you're here. Come by and we'll talk. And then I don't think I knew that. So Zeke's was brand new mm -hmm. when you 
started working there? They opened June of 2013. Okay. Yeah, so it was not an established nope. place. It was an established place. The guy, um, the two guys that own it um, at the time, Nick um, Vitali and Mike Shermer, um, just wanted to... I think the story was they wanted to open a place that was different, something different than like all the stuff at the oceanfront, just good food, um, good coffee. They had had pokey because surfer, you know, they both are surfers and been to Hawaii and places that serve pokey. And it's funny because pokey now I feel like is on every coffee shop menu <laughs> yeah, in Virginia everywhere. Beach at this point. Yeah. Uh, um, so... Really cool. Do you harbor any dreams or ambitions of doing your own thing in coffee down the road if it if it presents itself? I mean, I think it's always there. I mean, it's great. Like getting to open the Zeke's was fun. I mean, it was it was such a it was such a good time in the beginning because I'm like, I mean, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, man, and I'm sitting here working at a beach coffee shop where people come in in their bathing suits and put their surfboards <laughs> outside. I was like, this place is great. But like what was great about what was great about Zeke's is that it even got to train me more because we served Intelligentsia Coffee. It's a Chicago-based coffee shop that their coffee was I mean, killer. And so because we serve their coffee, you got to be trained for free. So I got to go to New York City and train with them extra and learn even more, which was really cool. And so then that gave me this. But Zeke's gave me like, I mean, <laughs> there's people that were like, man, you brought you brought coffee to Virginia Beach. And I'm like, I mean, thanks, man. I just happened to get the job. There's, there's wait, wait, some... no, wasn't it? Wasn't it pour over? Yeah, because we we did pour over coffee and espresso drinks. Yeah, we didn't have any drip coffee. God, and pour over was the most hipster thing. Uh, oh yeah, uh, you uh-huh. know, out there when I was up in New York, I that you did you brought pour over to Virginia Beach, dude. It was you it were was the mayor great. of coffee. It was, I, uh... and then you know, and then three ships came. And, you know, Brad is that coffee's amazing. I mean, I still drink that now, but it was like, it was such a fun, it's such a fun thing for me because it's, it's kind of like an art form. You know, I mean, I could make the leaves and the hearts and all that stuff in the coffee and the, the cappuccinos. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it was, it's a blast. Yeah. Um, I always have it in the back, in the back of my mind, you know, maybe. If it has to be perfect, because I mean, being a teacher, the schedule is so great. So speaking of being a teacher, and of course, uh, when I reach into your cooler, I have a Pacifico in yeah, my hand here. So <laughs> this is, uh, I it could not have been more on brand. Um, so if yeah. if it were to be right and everything, I mean, that would be cool, and that would be great. But I also love being a teacher. So so speaking of teaching. So we you you move out of Zeke's, you go into the teaching world. What drew you to that? You you've had a kind of an interesting journey through education. Mm-hmm. So I you know what really you know I don't, you, you can go into it. You you don't have to, but I'm I'm most interested. What kind of drew you to education? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and particularly the parts of your journey that kind of led you up to friend school. I know it's, it was kind of a bit of a bumpy path. So, uh, 
yeah, would definitely love to learn more about that. Yeah. Can you get me a Pacifico? A hundred percent. Um, <clears throat> so there's two, there's two reasons why I wanted, two reasons why <laughs> I wanted to be a teacher. I think the first thing, the first thing was, um, and you might, this might kind of resonate with you. Um, it's the power of having older people in your life that aren't your family. hundred percent that you can go to talk to and that can guide you through life. Um, you know, being in the church where that we were in, you know, we had teen workers and, and mentors and all of this. And there were, I mean, there's five, there's five men that I think I owe where I'm at now to, to them to their, their being in my life in specific times to keep me, to keep me sort of center. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was just, I'm questioning, I'm questioning my faith and feeling safe to talk to them in a way that's not, they're going to push me to, to just get in line, um, to, I feel lost and I don't know where to go and I don't know what to do. Um, and also just, they, they saw value in me when I really didn't, I I never felt like I had any because I didn't look, act or talk or anything like the, the people that seem to get ahead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that without those those five guys, I don't think that I would be the father that I am or the the husband or just a person because we've gone through some fucked up shit with our church mm-hmm. and the faith. And having that mm-hmm. was like these things that just nudged me in the right way. So there's power totally. in that. There's power in having someone to go to that's not your parents because you don't want to talk to your parents about everything. You don't want to talk to your parents about about anything. About women or sex or any you know, that right. kind of stuff. No. Yeah. It's uh Well so there was that. Yeah. That's the first thing. The second thing was I hated school so much. School to me was prison. There was never anything there was never any teacher. There's one teacher, Mr. Moore and my band teacher, two teachers, sorry, that ever, I ever felt like were like I was more than just someone in a seat. You know, school to me was sit down, shut up, and listen. Mm-hmm. Nothing was relevant to my life. Nothing showed me that I that I needed this. The only reason that I stayed in school was the marching band and concert band and jazz band because it gave me an outlet to do something that I loved. And I had to keep a certain GPA to stay in marching band. And so that's why mm-hmm. if I didn't have that, I was, there was nothing that was keeping me in school. So I wanted, but I, there's this part of me that was like, I just feel like it could have been different. And so there's, there's that like trying to, to like trying to sh- be different because I know the value and the power in that. So you are being the change, so to speak, because you are bringing 
an experience which informs your teaching style yeah to make sure that you want to include mm-hmm. you know in, include students that already are doing well but also really that it's important for you to focus uh in addition to that focus on the students who might normally be mm-hmm. ignored or excluded from yeah, yeah there's this this mm-hmm term or this sentence I heard that grace is retroactive. Mm. So like if you're given a lot, you should give back. It's like your duty to give back. Mm -hmm. So if someone helped me, I feel like it's my duty to help someone else because I know that I know what it feels like. It's the same thing. Like the, have you ever lost your wallet and someone gave you back your wallet with the money in it? Has that like, ever happened to you? And you're like, why didn't you take my money? Yeah, why didn't you take my money? Mm-hmm. This one, so this one guy did that to me, and I was like, I, I need to, I need to do, you know, I need to do the same. Right. So it's it's almost like I I don't think I can do anything else besides this because I owe so much to other people. And so there's, so there's obviously a passion to teaching. Uh, so actually, I, you know, this is, you kind of got into it a little bit, but I thought on a broader level, you've worked in public schools, you've worked in the gifted school here in Virginia Beach. Yeah. So what critiques or kind of what feedback critiques do you have of the education system? And, you know, if, if you're, you know, that because I think that you're uniquely positioned to kind of see it. Education is such a hot topic these mm-hmm. days. What you know, what can be, what has been done great? What's being done shitty? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's. I have to choose my words very carefully to talk about this. No, you don't. No, you don't. Have at least have an, have a shot of tequila no, and talk about it. No, I think we want to hear the raw, real deal. <laughs> well, I think I think um, also having having being a man, being a boy, mm-hmm. and having older male influences is important. And so there's not that many in public schools. So that's something that I think we could have more of in elementary school specifically. More, I think more men in the teaching realm would help by far. Mm -hmm. It's not a critique of women at all because that's not it's not the it's not it's well, not their fault it's not it's just traditionally teachers were women historically teachers were women there would be the school the school lady in the town and you would go to that men would be in college men would be in math men would be in science men would be pe right mhm but and a lot of a lot of younger boys they just need i think they need to see themselves in in authority figures more because we get what they're feeling 
you know what it's like to be a young boy when you're sitting there and you have all this energy and you just, you know, you're not bad. You're not anything. You're just a boy with energy. And mm-hmm. we have, it's just, I don't know what it is. It maybe it's genetics. I think it could be the going back to the fact of like thousands and thousands of years ago that men were out hunting. It's been passed down, you know, genetically through that. So we have energy. And so a lot of these, a lot of women don't understand why the boys can't sit still. But I do. And I know they're not bad kids. They're just boys. So I have to approach it like that. So this is just like the diversity argument, you know, it's with anything, you know, Mm -hmm. representation matters, right? So, but in this case, it's a little bit interesting because I don't think I've ever heard it from this perspective before, but it totally makes sense Yeah, because it was, it was cool when you had a teacher that was a guy when, when you were growing up because it was outside the norm. Yeah. So it's. It's it just could like, definitely stand out. It's just like with representation matters in positive ways on film, in TV, in books, in that. When you see yourself, like you seeing yourself as a superhero, you see Superman. We get to see Superman and we see us. Right. Right. We see a white man. It's just as powerful as when these these kids of color see, you know, um the new Miss Marvel. Who she is? She's an Indian woman, right? Or Black Panther? He's black. Uh, Luke Cage, black. Uh, you know, uh, Captain Marvel, a woman. Exactly. And so like, you're saying it's just as important for these students mm-hmm. to see themselves reflected yep. in their teachers. Yeah. And it and and there is a a little bit, or it sounds like maybe a lot of bit of a lack of diversity in teaching staff. It's all, <laughs> oh, Jim. It's all nice white women. Right, right. <laughs> um, and it's hard. It's hard because I have, there are professors that have shown me what teaching can be that were women. There's powerful, strong women teaching that I, I know that when I say that, is prob it can be seen as problematic and I don't want to take from that. I'm just saying that there are boys that need that need men in their lives in this education realm because I've wit I've seen boys that gave a damn in my class that didn't give a damn before because I could talk to them in their way. Right. And so there's that. I think and that's hard. It's hard in public school because, you know, public school is designed for certain things for a certain way. And, you know, I, I think that I wanted to try public school. I think in a way I wanted to fix it. And I mm-hmm. think I don't think anyone going into something to fix it is going to win. And I think that was a problem because I was always drawn. I was drawn to Montessori. I was drawn to Waldorf. I was drawn to different types of education because I knew that I hated the way this school was. Right. And if you give kids nature or outdoors or just flexibility, learning happens. And so that's why I'm at Friends. That's why I'm at other school. the other school. That's why I was at the gifted school because the gifted school – 
for a time showed me that you can be flexible and think differently and all of that. Um, because I think real learning happens when it's relevant, when it's personalized, and when it meets the whole child. It's not just remembering facts and numbers to ace a test. But it's like, no, like, you're learning this because this is something that it happens in your life. Right. For my kids that I teach the younger ones, they need to see that what they're learning matters in everything. From the fact of like math is math. When I tell a kid math is, is in their playground, they lose their mind. They lose their mind. When I tell them it took math to make a playground, right? they're like, no, it didn't. I was like, well, hold on. Let's look at this. And I get to explain that to them. They listen to me more because they get to see why, why this matters. When I tell the kids that play baseball that there's math in baseball, and if you hit the ball with the bat at a certain angle, you can get it higher or position it specifically. So you're looking at the angles. You're looking at the force. They're like, holy shit. Roy, and honestly, the fact that you're using a sports metaphor right now is... (laughs) Uh, in and of itself, uh, a miracle and a shocker. I mean, Man, it's I know like, sports if ball. you can even <laughs> hit the baseball, uh, <laughs> then maybe you know you can determine its arc. Uh, so yeah, yeah. But that's why I do it. That's you know, and it's 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 great. It's it's a job that it's weird, right? Because someone who builds things. You know, they can leave their job and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in charge of like 70 kids, like learning. And also they're with me for like so much of their life. When you think Mm -hmm. about it for a year, I'm there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that it's like, I can't just teach them. I have to kind of like help them. Absolutely. And they're, they're like emotional stuff. And so like, it's been powerful, especially at friends, because I have the opportunity to, to like really work with boys in particular to kind of help with like how we deal with our emotions, how we feel, what we're experiencing as a boy. And it's like, yeah, you're angry. Okay. You can be angry, but let's find a way to, 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 to like get through the anger in a way that doesn't tear something down. And that's like mm. amazing to watch and getting to do that. And you've seen success in it. Oh, hundred. I've seen. Yeah, man. I have a kid. I had a kid that like, I would just give him a stress ball. Yeah. And he would squeeze it, and no he way. would like he would get better answers. I had kids that like I would just be like, "You're frustrated. I get it." But also, I sucked at school so bad. <laughs> I got an 890 on my SATs the first time. Took you what, like seven, eight years to graduate from college? No, 13 years. <laughs> oh 13 my years, God. three colleges, five majors. Um, <laughs> I, I, I quit school, and when I came back, I had uh, less than one GPA. Uh, anyway. Um, if you want your kid to learn math, Roy is your guy. <laughs> so, yeah. But I know what it's like to fail. I also know what it's like to succeed mm-hmm. by not giving up. So that gives me that power to where I can look at this kid who's who's losing his mind 
because he doesn't get it. And I can say, I, I understand. And I, you know, I always, I mean, I tell the kids a speech where, I mean, Jim, it took me five semesters to get out of one math class in college, five semesters. I was, I was literally suspended from college because I couldn't get out of this one class and I had to advocate. Was it like uh, which class was like addition? It was remedial math. It's that stuff that that comedian, addition and subtraction. It was like Bargetsky. (laughs) Nate Bargetsky talks about how he got into remedial math and it was called math. It It wasn't called anything. I was in the class he's talking about. They called him learning support. Anyway, but I was suspended from college for three years and I didn't know. I got there the first day and my name wasn't on this list. And so I ended up having to go in all these lines. Anyway, I had to advocate to give me one more chance. I could only take that one class. Anyway, oh my I succeeded. Gosh. But why I tell them that is because it's like math looks like a big scary monster, but it's not. You just have to practice. You have to do the steps. And if you learn the steps, learn this, you can get it. I promise. And I know. And so that gives me that connection to help them. Because if you've never failed, how can you help someone who's failing? I, it's an, I, that's a great perspective. Uh, I think, you know, so, so if, you know, it's a uh, friend school, Roy <laughs> Clemens, math teacher, it's a uh, go, go take a tour. He will be lying on the floor, I'm sure, or uh, lounging on a couch. <laughs> I do and uh, yeah. teaching these kids. So, <laughs> moving, you know, uh, moving into uh, into a kind of another thing that's extremely unique about you, and so we're kind of moving out of the teaching realm. But it's something that you know, as your f- people get to know you, it, it, it becomes clear is you and Carly, and you know, you both have a your your emphasis on uh, on wellness and. Uh, and your approach to healing and medicine is very unique. So, you know, it, it would not be a podcast if I didn't ask you, you know, so tell me a little bit about kind of you, your, what informs your views on kind of uh, on wellness in general um, and health uh, and where did that all come from and how does that play out in your life? Well, I think um, that is something that I think people have. It's like one of those things where people have their, I, I think, their views on what we do. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily the truth. Mm. You know, it's like you look at, like, the fact that, like, you hear, like, because vaccine's a big word, you know, and we didn't vaccinate our kid. Um, I'm not ashamed to say that. <laughs> and people, you know, you wonder why. And there's a lot of people who it's such a hot issue, a hot topic. Um, but for me specifically, um, I mean, health and wellness was something that I grew up thinking about it one way and saw a lot of the word that's coming to my head is fallacy. Mm. Um, because for one, um, I was also very uninformed. We were an uninformed family. It's not like to a fault that I'm mad at my parents for. We were just uninformed about a lot of things. For instance, I had eight surgeries on my ears. I had tubes put in my ears eight times. Which eight is, times. Eight times, which is something that... Damn. 
<clears throat> it's an incredibly minor surgery. I think I had tubes once. But yeah, fucking point. annoying because I have to wear earplugs when I swim. Uh, still? Yeah. Um, I've had tubes up until my late 20s, which most people grow out of. I never did. So the I think the biggest... So. Do you blame this on the doctors? Kind of. A little bit. Every so what would this is what would happen. So when I was three, before I was three, I had my tonsils and adenoids taken out. I had my first set of tubes put in. Mm-hmm. All in one. Because, you know, kids, this tube issue is something that happens very frequently with kids. Right. A lot of kids get this like it's an inner ear problem. It's stuff's not draining properly. You can lose hearing. It's it sucks. You get ear infections a lot. Um, it's a terrible thing. I, I used to get like three ear infections a year. Um, and I, at one point I lost 90% of hearing in my Jeez. ear because of this. Um, so, but, but what would happen is, is, and this was a regular thing. So I'd get an ear infection. We'd go to the doctor. Okay. We'll give you antibiotics and then come back in six weeks. So it'd clear up, but then the pressure was still there and they, okay, well, let's get steroids or something. And then, nope, that didn't work. Okay. We'll go to the audiologist. Okay. You can't hear right now. You need to get tubes. I would get tubes. So then it would be, it would help. It would work for a while. But then guess what would happen? The tubes were meant to fall out. They're not meant to be a permanent thing. So right. they would fall out. And then I would get more ear infections. And then the process would repeat. And then the process would repeat. The process would repeat. The process would repeat. And it never fixed. And then a doctor told me, well, you're like 18, man. You're probably going to have tubes the rest of your life. And I'm like, mm. and it just, so that sucked because one, I didn't know another way. What else could I be doing? And two, I saw, are you, do you really know what you guys are doing? Because this isn't fixing it. And every time you're just wanting me to go under the knife and cut open my eardrum to put this tube in like, I just got to this point where it was like, there has to be a different way. And I don't think that I don't think that medicine is wrong at all. I think that you need it. We use it like mainstream medicine. Yeah. Right. I mean, we use it. And if, and if any of us need medicine, we we use it. Right. But we also try other things first. And so like, for instance, I wish that my parents knew about chiropractic when I was three. Mm-hmm. Because one of the benefits of chiropractic care for kids is the inner ear issue and tubes. There is report there are articles, thousands of articles and research done where kids have not had to have tubes because they were getting adjusted. Mm-hmm. And it helps it helps that that was the I remember when I was dating Carly. Yeah. And they saw that I was putting earplugs in while I was swimming at this pool and they're like, Why are you doing that? I was like, I have tubes in my ears. And they're like, What? And I would mm-hmm. tell them, I was like, why didn't you get it? They would say, why didn't you get adjusted? And that was like the first thing they always said. So like, I just have, I, I just have grown skeptical and not in a way that I, I immediately think that it's bullshit. It just, okay, thank you. Could there be another thing I could be doing? Well, so my immediate follow-up is, is so have you seen, so as you, you know, so what basically what I'm hearing is it's not that, you know, listen, if you break your arm, 
you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's, you're going to the hospital like anybody else. Yeah. It is a, uh, it is more, there are things that you try for some of these other types of issues that yeah. you do before you necessarily dive straight into, um, you know, like, uh, like getting prescribed medicine mm-hmm. or before you go, you know, have these kind of like minor surgeries, like these, like the, like ears, uh, like, you know, the, like the ear tubes or whatever. So have you seen benefits? Yes. Yes, lots of them. Um, but to your point, I mean, I blew out my knee. Mm-hmm. I had to get a knee surgery. I didn't go get adjusted and it fixed it. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know? Like, no, no, exactly. But I mean. <laughs> I didn't go and take a bunch of vitamins and then my knee was healed. Right. Like I needed I needed the surgery. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you need the medicine. I've, since I've been with, you know, Carly, I mean, I've, I've used eardrops. I've gone to the doctor for, I remember I had an ear infection. Which was one in ten years, which is like my life. I was like, right. "Oh my god!" So that's the first thing. I think since that I've shifted a lot. I've shifted a lot of things that most people, I guess, don't look at as an idea of health and. I mean, well, health and wellness and medicine, like the uh, the things that I eat are different. Right. Um. I take vitamins. You know, like D, I take a lot of D vitamin. Like, for instance, like when the school year starts, I up my vitamin D, my calcium, and my zinc. Like, I'll take a bunch of that to help boost my immune system because um, I'm going to be in a petri dish of uh-huh. everything that is filthy with exactly. children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there'll be things like, um, I mean, I drink a gal, I try to drink a gallon of water a day, and that's helped. You know, like it's little stuff that, like, has made a big impact to where like, you know, that I used to be like sick from October to February, just a cold. And I don't have that much anymore. Uh, recovery to things are different. And a lot of it is, you know, I get adjusted like twice a week. Yeah. I mean, and then I also just, we don't, you know, we don't eat certain things anymore. I mean, I, I have Chick-fil-A once or twice a month and that's, Big difference because I used to eat like Taco Bell three times a week. God, I I I love Taco Bell. I mean, and I, I do, would and I, absolutely eat it. Like I'm not, and I don't want to make like you know, <laughs> it's hard. Like it's hard for me. Like I think this is why I'm nervous talk having this platform right now that you're giving me because I'm yeah. talking about this and people immediately we're gonna be like, no oh judgment. My God. Like no, I feel like shit because I'm doing this. It's just like I think what I've seen since, and it really is marrying and being with Carly is being exposed to a world that I didn't know existed. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are snake oil salesmen in it. And I've met a lot of them. (laughs) I've met a lot of them. There's snake oil salesmen in every industry. Exactly. World of, and it looks so like I was talking about this because I was trying to prepare like what I was trying to what I wanted to say about this because I want to speak from my perspective, not like collectively because my wife, you know, she's the medical professional. Right. She has her thing. I want to try to stay in my lane as much as possible and just kind of speak anecdotally for myself. Feel free to swerve right out of your lane. (laughs) I think so. Like we look at our bodies like we look at cars. Mm-hmm. And they're a machine. 
that, you know, you, this happened, you need to remove it. You know, like if your fan belt breaks, you get a new fan belt, right? Your live, you know, your something breaks on your body. We'll just take it out or get a new one. We forget that like you put a card, the pieces of a car together. It's just a car. It's going to be a car, nothing else. But there's something about our bodies that you put it together. We're more than just this. There's the consciousness. There's that feeling mm-hmm. of that we're more than that. And our bodies are made, are intelligently, des- I mean, I believe it's intelligently designed, whether you want to call it God, spirit, whatever. There's something that, that we can't put our finger on, but it heals. Like, you know, you cut your finger the blood comes up, it starts to scab, it heals itself. There's an intelligence there that is amazing. And I think that we need to be reminded of that. And so like chiropractors and these people understand the power in that. Mm -hmm. And so their first inclination is like, well, maybe let's let the body heal for a little bit. Um, Let's give it a, let's give it some time. Let's, let's do this instead of immediately shoving pills or medicine you know why don't we try this or that or like vitamins or up this or up that and let the body do what it's designed to do you know totally it's yeah and so like that i dig that you know a lot of times you have like or you know a kid gets a fever or a kid is sick or a kid gets like the sniffles you give them a warm bath, a lot of, you know, some, you know, give them some vitamins or something. And in 24 hours, they're usually better, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it's just, I don't know. I think that like, we forget that we're more than just the sum of our parts. Interesting. And I think medicine looks at that sometimes like that. Like we just got to fix the problem. We yeah. got to get in there. We got to do this thing. We're going to prescribe the thing that fixes this one problem but it's uh and instead of yeah. trying to prevent it you just wait for it to happen, happen and then, and then you it. like right interesting so like i want to do the things in my life that are going to help prevent some things i'm going to want to that's why i ran the half marathon mm-hmm. you know that's why i go to the gym i mean i made a lot of poor decisions as a kid that were directly related to my health yeah and i don't want to do that anymore you know yeah. I still want to suck down a few Pacificos, but I also want to do the things that can help it so that like, it's not the regular thing. You know, I want to up my cardio. I don't want to, you know, I mean, when I look at my, some of the, the family history and I see the diabetes and I see the heart attacks and I see the overweight and I see all of that, it's like, I just, I want to be different. I yeah. know that there's different out there. I want to approach my life in a way that that gives me vitality so that I'm here for however long and I think what I like about it is that there's a purposeful element to what you're talking about so it's very proactive mm-hmm. it's very hey you know we're I'm going to try this it's almost focused a lot more on prevention mm-hmm. than uh it prevention so as opposed to being reactive right where it's yeah. like okay we mm-hmm. guys got to 
you know, we're going to fix the problem that's immediately right in front of us. It's taking that, that bigger picture view, mm-hmm. and especially the way you're talking about your family history. It definitely resonates. Uh, and I think that's a, um, yeah, it's an interesting perspective yeah, for sure. And, and I'm incredibly lucky. I'm incredibly lucky in the fact <laughs> one that Carly walked in that fucking coffee shop. Right. And now I'm introduced to this world where like, I mean, so like in December, my back was, there were a lot of things happening because I had introduced running and like running and longer distances into my body. And so there were things that were happening and I didn't know what it was, but I remember, um, my legs went numb. Oh no. Oh no. My legs went numb when I was at work and I was like, what is happening? But I had three people that I could call that immediately were able to were able to talk to me. And then this, I remember I'm dude, I just, I called three people and they called me back. Each of them called me back within 10 minutes. I called doctor's offices Mm -hmm. and I'm on the phone waiting on hold for 20 minutes and I get an appointment in a month. Like that's a thing. And like, I remember, so none of them were in the office, but one guy was like, I have this friend of mine. Give me a second. He's a chiropractor. You know, I trust him. He's been in practice for 25 years. He works with what you're dealing with. Hold on. He called the guy happened to be in his office to an admin the guy let me come to him and he like spent 30 minutes with me like helping. And it was like, you know, it was, it's nothing major. It was just like, I needed to, you know, you have your, uh, what is it? The hip flexors. And yeah. And, and, he was, was just showing all... me stretches and he adjusted a bunch of stuff and he worked with me for 30 minutes and then, you know, and it was great and I was better because of it. And I was just sitting here and you like, ran that half marathon and I ran the half marathon, but it was like, my access to stuff is different than most people. I'm incredibly lucky and will always be grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's wild. And, and you know, I mean, I do, we do a lot of things that most people don't do. <laughs> you know, we had a home birth for instance, and uh-huh. you know, that's something that, I mean, I wanted to do a home birth even before I knew Carly. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I thought that there was a lot I had, you know, growing up, you know, you look like you're about to ask me a question. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just, I, 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 so home birth was, it's so funny because that is something that my sister-in-law did, but it's so, was so far off the radar. We never even once considered it. It's just yeah. like, it's, it is, that is on you. That is unique. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's unique that both of you came to that conclusion yeah. separately before you met each other. And yeah. I, I, I had friends and acquaintances that told me a lot of stuff when they were, you know, when they're, when they were, their wives were giving birth and that whole process. And it just always really felt like the die. I'm trying to, cho- you know, you choosing the words carefully because it just felt like it was more of like, we got to get you in. We got to get you out. And it was never really, they never really felt that they had power. Mm-hmm. And there was never um, an honor of what was happening. And I think birth is like, 
I mean, it's it's this it's a giant mystery to me. Uh huh. How it happens, how it goes. I mean, it gro- like consciousness, like all of this stuff that comes up. It's like the someone is growing inside someone else. Right. Like it's insane. It's it's incredibly insane. But it's also something that I think is should be honored a lot more. And I never felt like the moment was, it was just like, all right, all of a sudden there were nine people in the room and there's this baby here. And there was never a moment of like, and I know that's, that might sound woo woo, but it's like, we. No, but I think it's, I think it's, it doesn't sound too woo woo. I think I, I totally understand connecting meaning to something as monumental as having a kid you know i think it's tough because it's like also when you're in the moment i don't you know i don't care if you're doing a home birth or you're in a hospital uh and you know as as a dad you're if you're helping out you're just like what the fuck is happening you know it's all kind of crazy Uh but it i do i love that piece of of being present, I think there's a presence that mm-hmm. uh, that I'm hearing that kind of that I think is kind of cool um, to to be in your home to have this uh, have that experience here as long as it's safe. I think like you know the big fear for those who don't is always oh well there's a medical emergency and it's you know I know that uh, you know the, obviously there's contingency plans mm-hmm. for all these types yeah, yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to be able to have that where you're, you know, in your safe space that like, it's now that experience, that incredible, crazy, insane experience is also now tied to your home. I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah. And and it, it always harkens back to that statement that I said about how, like the, the idea that there's an intelligent design to what we're doing Mm -hmm. and the body kind of knows what they're doing. And I think that it, and from what I, and it was just observations I made that were like, it just feels like we're taking that part of it out and we're making it more about the um, protecting the the doctors more than the people. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just felt like I wanted more control and I wanted to connect to that ancestral part of it Yeah, in a safe way. And I knew that we, you know, we interviewed numerous people and when we were like, you know, the midwives that we, that we, um, got it, the midwives that we chose. I mean, there was contingency plans for everything. It was the safest. I mean, we knew exactly what would happen if this, like, for instance, we knew where we were going to go, how it was going to go if, like, say, um, the blood pressure dropped. Right. Okay. Blood pressure drops. We're getting in a car. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go there. You know, and it was, it was incredibly safe and incredibly, like, just like, these ladies were smart. Shout out to Seven Cities Midwifery. Yeah. Um, just, oh my God, it was amazing. Um, but 
forgot where I was going because oh no, but you so think I, about you yeah. think about the birth of your kids, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you just kind of get lost. Well, no, you moment, say, well you know? because it's so crazy. But so before we get too deep into that, I as you mentioned kind of the uh, intelligent design element, and we don't need to go into all of the our our church history. I for you know anyone listening, I, you, I can refer you to. There's a few other podcasts where Roy has discussed oh, yeah, there's uh, like seven or eight faith episodes. and spirituality. <laughs> so we, we don't have to you know, plumb the depths of that necessarily. But where do you feel that you're at with faith now? Um, so we, we, I think we have an understanding, you know, anybody who's been listening kind of has an understanding of where you've been, kind of the church experience. We've had a conversation about it. Where do you find yourself currently? It's such a wild place that I feel like I am currently. Um, I mean, I pray every day. Uh, I pray to God, but I also meditate. At least I try to meditate for like ten minutes every day. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. Um, there's a connection. I feel more connected to. I feel more connected to God now than I ever have in my life. Mm. But it's a freer kind of like, it's hard to explain. Um, I feel more connected. I feel more connected to God. Sometimes I say I feel more, it's almost like I'm more connected to the source of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is because I've broken down a lot of the things that I feel like got in the way of a true sort of connection uh, from my childhood. A lot of it is just the books I've read. What were some of those things that got in the way? Oh, it had to look a certain way. Uh-huh. God had to be, uh, well, first, God had to be defined in a in a sort of male aspect. Mm-hmm. We always called God our father. Which or I use feel, the pronoun he. It's yeah, always he, he, it was he. He, father, God. I know, right? It's, um, and yeah. I feel like that cheapened it in a lot of ways because if God is the connection, if God is a source, at least limited it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is God like, how can we say that God is male or female? I think God is all of it. God is God. If, if you know, and, and so I think that was one thing that got in the way. I think I always felt like sometimes I told people that the God that I knew as a kid was a lowercase J G but this God is an uppercase G because mm-hmm. that God was the God that I was told I needed to follow where like in the last few years as through therapy and the reading and literally just my walk, I've just sort of connected to something that's bigger. So what you, you you've mentioned now twice reading, what are a couple of the books uh, oh, that you, um, that you, like that you would, I don't even want to go as far as say recommend, but that really affected you. Uh, well, I, I think the easiest way to say is there's authors. I think authors, so. Okay, Rob yeah. Bell um, showed me there was a door. Yeah. Right. And that I could walk through it. He showed me there was a door to other things. Um, Donald Miller helped me to sort of. What about Rob Bell? What, what, so what, what, when you say he showed you there was a door, like, what does that mean? Well, it like you think about um he showed me that you can question things. Mhm. 
and it's okay to question things. Because we grew up in a world where you you didn't question. Yeah. Um, oh, you you never could question, and you could only like the books that you read. I remember uh, someone telling me when I read the Velvet Elvis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Velvet Elvis is like one. So Velvet Elvis, Blue Like Jazz. I mean, you could read those two, and I mean that'll that'll open a door to something else. But I remember when I told someone I wanted to read the Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell, they were like, "Be careful, be careful." Mm-hmm. Because you're going to question things. And Rob Bell's very good in that to where it's like, questions are okay. So so you're saying Rob Bell really does a great job of creating a good space for doubt. Yeah. Good space for like, why? Good space for, are you sure? Are you sure that's what he's trying to say? Let's look at it this way. Let's try going higher. You know, he talks about looking at the Bible with elevation. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the Bible historically. Mm-hmm. And so, like, those type of things, which are stuff that I never really thought of. And so, he, him and Donald Miller, I mean, I don't... I think Donald Miller talked... He's such a great writer. Um, he, there's this book, A Million Miles in a Thousand... It's A Thousand Miles in a Million Days. A Million Miles. Anyway, where it talks about conflict. And he kind of wrote, like... Because it's, Jos- it's Joseph Campbell, right? The hero's journey. I'm not... I don't know. Where, like... Every hero goes through like these certain every. It doesn't matter what story it is, but it's the progression of it's the progression. hero. There's right. always this thing mm-hmm. in conflict in our lives, and how he kind of wrote as fiction. Um, he wrote a nonfiction book, but it was talking about the idea of of conflict in our lives and the need for it and stuff like that. But just the way he wrote, just kind of gave me different perspectives on that. But those guys helped to kind of show me there was a door and then I could walk through it. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's like a hundred and something pages. It's not about parents getting divorced. No, it's about <laughs> it's about heaven and hell. <clears throat> and that's a fiction book, but that forever shifted my view of hell and heaven. Uh-huh. Um C.S. Lewis was a huge Oh yeah, I mean you could me. read I mean he has books and I mean it's it's crazy, but like but The Great Divorce specifically was the book that, I mean, I got it. And I was like, because he talks about the city where everyone's trapped in their homes and they don't realize that the bus can take them to heaven because they're so wrapped up in their own shit. Yeah. And they're progressive. You know, they're they're there forever. And I was like, oh, man, that kind of makes sense to me. But it's also, it's so practical. Yeah. I, the one that got me was the screw tape letters. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Similar. It was a similar concept mm-hmm. of... Just um, from the from the from the uh, perspective of a of a demon or a devil yeah. trying to figure out how best to get into the mind of a of yeah. you know of of a person. It's just he was very creative in the way yeah. he put things. Uh, yeah, there's no so doubt like, about it. So like I read like the Velvet Elvis. I read all of his books. I think Love Wins by Rob Bell was a oh, yeah. good one. Um, but then I was reading Rob Bell the same way I was reading Eckhart Tolle. <clears throat> he wrote The Power of Now and A New Earth, and that kind of is from like a spiritual aspect. And I kind of, I kind of, I think because I was reading all of them kind of at the same time, I kind of saw that like truth can be in a lot of places. Truth is not specifically in this one place. Um, and so those books um, were great. But then when I then when I discovered Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. I think he 
his books helped me to kind of be okay with the vastness that is our life and truth and God and our walk and like needing to, and, and also freeing the need to be right. Right. And I think that, that was the final thing I needed is freeing the need to even defend what it is because it doesn't matter. I don't need to defend what I believe. And anymore. isn't ultimately, you know, not to get too religious, but isn't that ultimately what Jesus did in his final moments? He didn't even feel like, yeah, he was just silent in the face of, of an onslaught of, of basically mm-hmm. like character assassination, but he was silent in the face. So he did not feel the need to defend, but that is an interesting concept, yeah, man. Cause it's like, it's that whole like contemplate. He talks about his contemplative thinking, mm-hmm. contemplative approach to, approach to faith, sitting with the paradox, because Pete Holmes, the comedian, yeah, in his one of his last standups that I saw, he's like, he's like, who believes in heaven? Okay, yeah. Who believes whatever? Who believes you know that it's just all lights off? He's like, yeah, you're all probably right. <laughs> he's like, because because he's like, it could be that, could be that, 100%. could not be. He's like, I don't know. That might not make sense, but what about life makes sense? Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> none of this makes sense. He was talking about how, like, you know, oh, molecules God, and so atoms funny. and all of it's this. It's so true, though. He goes into it, and he, he's like, because at the end of the day, like, I mean, who, who cares? I'm trying to to just live my life the best I can. You and, know. and I think sometimes it gives you a framework to live the life the best you can. Like, it just at least gives you a framework to operate within you know and that is that is somewhat positive and we're not going you know necessarily into the negatives about it tonight but uh because i think we've there's other podcasts that have certainly gone into those but well to talk uh, about the freedom yeah to not defend i think has allowed me to look at people as people right more and to look at at as like look at life as an inclusive thing right because that's what i want to do i mean 100%. i want to bring people in and like let's all have you know i'm here you're here let's just let's be together like it is what it is where you come from who cares how you talk who cares this like i don't care about those things anymore because that's what we cared about the most but it's like my my approach to life i'm trying to be inclusive I think so. I think, you know, I was going to ask what you maybe only even said it. I said, what things about faith and spirituality do you feel that you want to pass down to Jasper and and how you want to relay values specifically around faith and spirituality down to your son? Have you thought about that at all? Is that, you know, and, and all the time? Yeah, I go to sleep thinking about it. I want him to embrace the mystery mm-hmm. that is all of this. Yeah. To understand that like you're not going to have all the answers and that's okay. But also to see the majesty in that is our life. Our life is like this incredibly fucked up thing mm-hmm. that is beautiful, beautiful, it's tragic, but you can walk around and sometimes, you know, 
you look at a tree and this tree is growing and no one told him how to grow what to be somehow it's doing what it's doing there's a mystery and a majesty to that that i hope that he sees and in that can be kind and empathetic because we're the same way Mm -hmm. like no matter what we do or try to be like my buddy i'm talking about joe again god he's gonna listen (laughs) he said you can try your best because his kids are in middle school and high school now He's like, but they're literally going to do whatever they want to, right? Mm-hmm. But I just want him to to see the world as like love and not like that silly, like, you know, like, you know, like that, like woo woo kind of like, hey, let's just love each other. But like looking at a person as a person, mm-hmm. if you see yourself, you know, you're a person and you want to be, you have value. That person needs that too. Well, I think what you're talking about is making it smaller. Yeah. So when you see some a person as a person, you're looking that you're not seeing the stereotypes. You're not mm-hmm. you're not thinking about all of the macro things that we sometimes label that then we kind of apply to just anybody that we meet. Mm-hmm. You're talking about like bringing it down to right right here in the moment. You're talking to a person and and getting to know them individually and i think that's a huge value i think it's 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 a strength i i hope that my kids get it too because it's uh yeah but is yeah not thinking so much about all the stuff that's not right in front of you because sometimes you you meet somebody and they're different than you and you think of all you can think about is oh the like well here's what i've read about people from this country or people from Hmm. there or whatever it might be and you almost got to throw that out the window the second you meet somebody as an individual and just like mm-hmm. be present for that. Yeah. And it starts in the silliest of ways. Like with him, um, <laughs> he sees an ant and he like presses his finger on it, yeah. you know, and the ant dies. Right. Right. And I'm like, we need to be that, that ant's a living thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that ant like breathes like you breathe. So we should, we should like, you know, we should, we should respect that, respect life for what it is, you know, respect life and the person, respect life and the, the plants, we respect the space that we're in, we respect it, um, cause that's powerful, right? I think if he gets, if he gets it on that small level, I think he'll start to get it as like on a person to person and even bigger as he gets older, I think, um. You know, I I don't know necessarily that what I haven't figured out how to talk to him about God, really. I know that I don't want him to feel what I felt. Mm -hmm. I know I don't want him to feel that there's someone watching everything he does and is going to, you know, is going to count how many times he masturbated in his life. You know, I don't, you know, or like, I want him to know like that he's, he's divinely created. I mean, we all are. I believe that. I believe that there, I think if I wish that we started there (laughs) instead of like, we're, you know, we're these like broken people that need, you know, something a little bit more affirmative than that. Or or we need to pray or I don't know. I just, I want him to, I don't know, like. 
like goes back to that intelligent design like mm-hmm. we're something that we're more than just these fingers and the heartbeat there's something that's going on that we can't really i don't know we can't explain so we should respect that respect life in all facets yeah so as we proceed on i've i've like it's kind of i don't want to say it's in closing because it's not necessarily in closing but uh call the last chapter as we come into the last chapter here of our chat um so what do you feel is like so i you know really is about kind of this podcast so Mm -hmm. uh i guess why did you start this podcast and uh, you know and what do you think makes for a balanced male well i started the podcast as sort of a space to talk about everything that I felt like I couldn't talk about. Um, I felt it growing up. I couldn't talk about my emotions. I couldn't talk about feelings. I couldn't talk about anything as being a male that didn't look or didn't like go through this filter. Right. Um, and then I also felt like when Carly was pregnant. She had so many women to talk to about this. And they were they they would just talk about it. But we never talked about it as like guys. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be this? What does it mean to be that? And a lot of people had negative things to talk about. And I wanted to be engaged in that more. And so I wanted to create a space for men to talk about this in a way that like was productive and not to sit around like we're going to like cuddle and cry, (laughs) you know, but in a place where it's like, yeah, we have feelings, we have emotions, we, you know, fatherhood is scary. Let's talk about it. Um, And so I think when it comes to balance, you know, the reason, you know, it's funny that we taught you, you mentioned the origin because really, uh, the people that are here this week, uh, she's going to come on the podcast in a couple days. She mentioned that I was balanced because I was talking about how, you know, sometimes it's weird that, you know, I, right. you know, I can like have a conversation with y'all and I can talk about my emotions and it's, you know, this thing and sometimes it's weird <laughs> and it's, you know, she's like, you're not weird. You're not girl. You're just balanced. Somehow you can connect with your emotions and in a healthy way. Yeah. And so I think I wanted to do that because I'm, I'm always in a quest to find that. Kind of got lost in this talk. <laughs> Three Pacificos and tequila. Oh, no, but I, so but, but like, what do you, what is your vision uh-huh. for a balanced male. Okay. The vision for balance to me is engaging in what you need yourself, whatever that is to be happy, healthy, and whole. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the first things I talked about were your pillars. Everybody has specific needs in their life that need to be attended to, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them are different for me. You know, I, I got it. I, I started thinking about that when I started 
watching this movie called Chasing Mavericks about this guy Jay who was this big wave surfer anyway and this guy that that taught him talked about pillars and was like emotional spiritual physical and emotional but when he I could never forget that because I was really I was understanding that I need to feed those four things in my life I needed to be doing something yeah. physical I needed to be growing mentally in some way I needed to um engage with whatever this is the mystery whatever source is i needed to just just engage with that and i needed to be like dealing with my emotions and so balance to me is finding ways to feed those things throughout my life mm -hmm. and honoring that i need that and when i honor that i need those things i find balance in my life and for balance is not like this thing that everything is perfect but it's weathering the storms in productive, positive ways. And I can, when I, for example, when I haven't gone to the gym in like three or four days, if something comes up in throughout my day, I usually attack it in a negative or destructive way. Instead of like when I've been to the gym, it's like, okay, got it let's do here we need to pivot we can pivot there's something about that that helps me weather those storms relationships if i've you know have talked to my friends you know my friends in atlanta if i've had conversations with them if i've engaged in our wing nights mm -hmm. you know if we've had you know we've hung out if i've been on a date with carly like those type of things feed that other part of me that i need you know mm -hmm. And that's what I think it sounds easy, but it's not, it's not easy for us to like, it's not easy for us to honor ourselves and what we need, especially as men, because we should put ourselves last and make sure that everyone else is fed and then, you know, we'll figure it out. You yeah. Know? And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong to eat last, but if we do it enough and not honor that and like not say, you know, look, I need, sorry, I need some time. Mm -hmm. Like if we're not doing that, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's when we, you know, get off balance. Absolutely. Do you have any, you know, I guess as we kind of, this feels like a, 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 as, as we're talking about the theme of the podcast in, in general, a good place to uh, come to a close, but are there any kind of final, you know, thoughts that you have about the podcast or anything that has been kind of transformative for you about this experience? You know, I, I how you're what, 30 some odd episodes in and mm -hmm. uh, has there been anything that like, has it, have you learned from it? Uh, you know, how's, how, how's, how's, how's this affected you and your thinking? Man. Well, first I think I had one guy that came on and, uh, he, he, I interviewed him. He talked about his dad and all this stuff and, and he had, um, he had his dad listen to the podcast and, <laughs> his dad called him after he listened to it and they had this really long conversation and they told each other they loved him for the first time. Wow. 
in, mm-hmm. I think he said the first time ever in like a real meaningful way. And I, I saw the power, I saw the power in something as simple as just a conversation and being open. And I think as men, we, we have to like honor, honor that part of us more, uh, because we're not good with that. And it's not an indictment on us. It's just, we just, we, we've never been given the tools as much as we could. Um, I've just been, I've just been really amazed at how easy it is to talk Mm. and provide like, you know, you sit here and it's like, I think we think that men can't talk and I think we can, it just, we just have to, it just, it's in a different way. You know, you, you give like, (laughs) just like I've had, I've had three hour conversations about fatherhood masculinity being a man fought like all of this stuff we have it in us we just i don't know we just have to honor the fact that we're allowed to talk about it um i think that there's you know i think i've learned that i have a lot more to learn i have a lot more and i need to engage in that in in you know productive ways have to find you know be, be open to learning I've also seen that we're all the same. <laughs> Every story is essentially the same. We're all trying to, I think the thing that we're all trying to do our best right, with what we've got. And I just like that. That's we're all trying to do the best what we got that. If, if I, if I could think about that, like, and I think if we can look at each other that way, I think that there'd be less shaming. Mm-hmm. There'd be more building. There'd be more connections. There would be more. Um, there'd just be less of, be less of this arguing, less of this like, fighting. You know, we're all just trying to do the best what we got. And I feel like, and we guys wouldn't have to feel like we're always trying to, you know, just a space to to express as opposed to, you know, always having to Mm -hmm. (laughs) bottle it up or whatever it might be. But, and, and I, I think that we have to talk. I think as men, we have to open up with what we're feeling and we have to trust that. And I think that's something for our wives and females that it's not the easiest thing for us to do because our entire life is it's almost beaten out of us from being the kid and having like thinking differently in the locker room to being shamed for that. Like we don't have, we don't have the tools that we need Mm -hmm. and it's not going to sound like you want it to, but we have, you have to be patient with us. Because I think the more patience and open that we can be is like it's going to open us up more because we just weren't taught to do that. And I think that it's in us and I think men have to understand that it's in us and we have to have the courage to talk about it and the courage to step out there because it's fucking scary. Um. It's fucking scary to talk to your wife about stuff that you're feeling because we have we can't show cracks. 
in ourselves. I mean, you know, like, because if, if we can't, if there's a crack, then there's something wrong with us. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> there you go. well, Roy, thank you for letting us take the, take the spotlight and turn it around and put it on you. Yeah, man. Uh, I have, there's so many other questions, but this is, uh, yeah. uh, at least a, this is a good start to, to, to peeling back the many layers of this onion. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, really appreciate it. This has been a, been a great evening. Yeah, man. It's been fun. I'm glad you did it. Here's some more Pacificos. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs>